Brands that can connect with their audiences more viscerally and more authentically will always be successful. With the Insights Out podcast, you will get access to deep and detailed conversations with the heads of leading organizations to understand how they are making their customer relationships work best and how we can all become more aligned to deliver strong value exchanges and better realize the benefits. I'm your host, Dr. Natanya Wachtel. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Insights Out, where we focus on how customer centricity and has a business value. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Tori Davis, and he's going to share his experience and insights in one specific area around corporate wellness programs and their impact on the corporations as well as the employees in which they're supposed to serve. Welcome, Tori. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me today. I was wondering if we could start, as we all wouldn't do, with a little bit of a background about you and how you got here today. All right. I'm Tori Davis, Davis IOP Strategy Consulting. A little bit of background about me is I've spent roughly 15 years in the field of HR. I've worked in various capacities within the human resource field. Um, but I recently became more interested in the side of what's called industrial organizational psychology, which really deals with more of the strategic side of HR and the strategy within a business in all areas of the business. So I'm not just limited to the HR scope. But the IO psychology is really, uh, again, a strategic ap- approach. And where I come in is helping organizations strategize about where they're trying to move forward with their goals and objectives, their mission and their vision, then making sure they stay aligned with their mission and vision so that, A, the employees understand the impact and purpose of their work, because that's important. That helps with retention. That helps with the employee saying, hey, I know the impact of my work. I know what I'm coming to work every day to do. I know what the purpose is. And that's rewarding from an employee perspective. And then on top of that, building processes and dealing with change. You know, change is ever happening in an organization. So understanding how to communicate and, and build strategy around change and having employee buy-in and leadership buy-in, those are areas that I focus on specifically, especially in in the space of wellness, because we all know that's an ever-growing field. Roughly 66% of employees feel that employers are actually responsible for providing some sort of wellness or healthcare type related benefits, and whether that's via application or some other modality to them. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. That's great. Can you tell us a little bit about your actual background? I think that would be great to frame it up and then we'll get a little deeper into what we can learn from you about the insights around these building and executing and maintaining these kinds of programs. My background is I actually started out in HR in the space of benefits. So that's a lot of where my interest in wellness and well-being and health came from. And then from there, actually, the Affordable Care Act came into play. So then I was responsible for helping those who may not have been eligible for health care, obtaining health care, understanding rules and regulations. And then I actually came into the wellness space. And that's when I took a deep dive. I became a corporate certified wellness specialist. So now I can really help create wellness programs for companies. Globe, really dive into 
strategically helping companies integrate wellness programs into all areas. More about me, I like to golf. So that's the hobby that I took up over COVID. And I really enjoy that. It's a peaceful game. I didn't know that I would because I originally played basketball and I like that fast pace. But golf is just a really nice, calm sport. It allows me to get out there and think. And that's where some of my best strategy golfs come from. <laughs> that's awesome. Getting that oxygen to the brain always helps, right? Yes. So the, as you know, well know, and most of our listeners probably do as well, but if not, we want to talk about how the effectiveness of a wellness program, it relies heavily on understanding those employee needs, those insights of the core drivers and aligning them with the organization's overall strategy and culture, as you mentioned. So how do you allocate appropriate resources as an organization, manage that change effectively, measure the impact of that change across a number of parameters, including absenteeism, presenteeism, productivity, life cycle management elements. And so the interview questions today are going to examine a few of the approaches and processes that you've seen employed that achieve these objectives and a few examples of, of how you've seen that work. So for the first question, it's sort of been touched on a bit, but how do you personally, when you're working with clients, how do you ensure that the development of the wellness program is based on those needs and preferences of the employees as well as the corporation who is sponsoring it. So first and foremost, I believe in assessing an organization. So some sort of assessment has to be done. So for me, I'm going to look at claims data. I want to know from the last three years what uh, is prevalent from a metabolic syndrome in the organization. So we're seeing a increase in diabetes or neoplasms or whatever else, what are we seeing in the organization that is starting to affect A, the cost of healthcare, mm -hmm. B, how many employees per 100, per 1,000, depending on the size of the organization, right. are starting to come into, I won't say contact, but experiencing these types of diseases that they need help with. And I think you can look at that across the board and really get a sense of what you need from a well-being program. And then also look at your disability, long-term and short-term disability programs. We know long-term programs, disability programs are causing employees to not come back to work. And that's cost to the organization because then you have to transition somebody out. Then you got to create a rec and then hire somebody in, or either you got to try to consolidate that work which could be stressful for an employee picking up new tasks and ownership. So we want to definitely look at you know, long-term disability and what um, is plaguing an organization from that standpoint, which generally you're probably going to find some detail of that in your short-term disability program as well, because that's going to lead people to long-term if they exhaust short-term. And so if you understand, if you have a large area, and let's just say you have a, a company that has um, white collar workers and blue collar workers mm -hmm. and from a short term disability. You may have different areas where blue collar workers are affected. If you're actually tracking that information so you know what area they're coming from, what their jobs are and things of that nature, then you can really start to hone in on, okay, what programs can we provide for our employees that are out in the blue collar space? What programs can we provide for employees who are in the white collar professional space because they, they have different needs. Yep. But to definitely explore those two areas and then 
lastly, you always want to ask your uh, employee population what they want to see. And so I think if you combine those three areas, and that's what I've done, you have a lot of buy-in from leadership and the employees for the programs that can come out of that type of research. Excellent. That makes a lot of sense. So layering onto that, how would you or how have you seen, and maybe provide an example if you'd like, of a wellness program that contributes also to promoting the overall company culture then once it's implemented? There are sort of culture and values, whether those be about individuals, about certain groups and inclusion, or just about support for a whole person. Any examples there? Yes. So when it comes down to a well-being strategy, it has to, it must be incorporated into an organization's culture, into their value system, into whatever principles they have. Otherwise, the program just becomes a box checker, right? We don't want a program to become a box checker because it loses its value. So essentially, like a heart attack and stroke prevention program, okay? Uh, you want to have a your leadership participate in any type of program. I just want to pause you right there. Small detail. Mm-hmm. But I bet you would say, because we've found as well, right? That's not always the case. It's, That's it's correct. Box checker applies through all aspects, including participation of the actual senior leadership. Yes. Yes. So having senior leadership, the C-suite participate, that actually helps the employees feel more comfortable. Hey, if they're doing it, they believe in it, then we can do it and we stand behind it too. Making sure that senior leadership gets involved in any program that you have. But again, for a heart attack and stroke prevention a program that I've helped before with, leadership had to be involved. And then on top of that, we had to communicate out the specifics of program. So what I tend to to lean on is uh, what's called self-determination theory, which deals with autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Autonomy is providing choice. So by providing a heart attack and prevention program to the population, there were different levels that the employees could participate in and which they may or may not be comfortable at a higher level versus a lower level. So they had options. Competence, we made sure they understood what was happening to their data what they needed to do to get involved in the program. Those are two big areas when you're talking about a, a, a corporate program that employees really want to know and understand. And then when you get into the area of relatedness, um, that is my coworkers doing it, so I'm going to do it too. Or I saw my leadership do it, so I'm going to do it too. You end up having that type of synergy happening. And if you can put those three aspects in place, then your participation levels are are going to be high. In a thousand-person company, they did have a heart attack and stroke stroke program before, um, but it was maybe, I don't know, 10 years before I got involved, and they only had 13 people participate. When I I implemented the, the elements that I'm talking about here, literally within two months, 233 or so people participated in the program and ended up saving 33 lives who were on the verge of heart attack or stroke. That's incredible. That's a testament to how these elements really work when you really put the effort in to understand how to make a well-being program 
effective and incorporate it with your mission, vision, and, and, and corporate strategies. That's incredible. And thank you for that. And I'm sure most of those people don't even know you exist. I know that us working in the background have that often, yeah. but I understand and um, support and I really admire some of those outcomes that you've been so responsible for. So thank you. Layering onto that, can you share, I know we've talked before, so I thought maybe you could share with the listeners. I know there's some diabetes and metabolic programs that led to positive measurable outcomes, aside from just also health outcomes for the corporation that was sponsoring them. Could you maybe share another example of that? In the space of diabetes, there's a lot of programs that are out there. A lot focus on, I won't say a lot, but some focus on the diet. And, and a diet is a crucial point when it comes to any metabolic syndrome. It doesn't just relate to diabetes. However, as we know, diets are generally hard to keep up with. Okay, so Diets I, don't work, basically. Yes. What, what I've seen uh, over the years is diets, as fast as you start them, is as fast as they end. Well, because you end up more or less looking at things you don't enjoy eating or having as an option to eat. First, from a diabetes management program, I don't generally look at programs that are heavily diet focused. I look at programs that are more focused on managing the chronic illness. Okay? And the reason is when we talk about managing, we're really getting into what's called lifestyle changes. And when we manage, that doesn't mean we can't enjoy. Right. Using positive psychology, if you eat the more of these foods, it will help your blood sugar and your feel better because rather than don't eat this, don't eat that. Is that essentially, I'm oversimplifying, yes. but for those who are not familiar in the space. Yes. Essentially, you want to really hone in on what someone can do and not what they shouldn't do. Right. Then you want to provide those support mechanisms. I know there's a company out there that they actually will call an or a participant if their sugar reading is too high or too low within two minutes. So you want to make sure that... From you mean it's, is it by a connected device like a glucometer or basically you're monitoring your blood sugar with a connected device, meaning it's over the internet, can transmit your data to a trusted source. And so yes. that's monitored and then an alert, I'm assuming to an allied health professional, nurse, RN, PA, whatever, would then get an alert that this person is in a not good zone and then they would get a phone call to help redirect them and check in. It could be a phone call, it could be a text. However, or text, that, right, the that, outreach, that outreach. Set it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. that's incredible. So it's really real time monitoring. Yes, it's, it's really real time. Amazing. Uh, so that is what really helps manage a chronic illness like a diabetes is that real-time intervention um, where they're getting a certified person coaching them through what have you eaten in the last two hours or did you sleep well last night or just asking those questions, trying to figure out what's going on and then creating a passport to help that individual. That's awesome. And can we talk a little bit about either from that example or another about sort of the outcomes in terms of impact to the corporation as a whole. So things like we were talking about overall, maybe stemming attrition rates, where a lot of mainstream news talks about the great resignation and people are leaving their jobs more than ever. And I know you have some experience in data. That's why I'm asking you to share it around how 
the companies benefit by investing in their employees. So obviously, it should feel good because if you're actually helping your employees, that's wonderful, but also how it helps them on terms of a performance and a retention perspective. Yeah, so when an employee feels like me, employer cares for them, they're more apt to stay. So when you're offering these types of programs to employees, you're really also affecting your retention rates. Right. Um, your, your attrition rates, your bottom line, your productivity, your absenteeism. If you provide the space for employees to be well, then you should see a reduction in your sick time. But you may see an increase in those who are actually seeking to go to doctor's offices and doctor's visits. Those are positive things because you want your employees to see their physicians go and, and get the treatments and things that they need. So you will see an uptick in maybe your leave from that perspective. But as far as lost work, lost productivity because someone's out sick or they're just disengaged because they don't feel the organization it really has their best interest in mind, you're going to see that go down drastically. Yes. Um, from a, a actual ROI, you'll start to see maybe your spend for medical claims either stabilize or decrease. I know for a couple of organizations, I've seen them stabilize and then eventually start decreasing. They didn't right, because it takes a little while. We're talking about shifting to proactive health management yes. and addressing things, which takes a little bit of resource to do, but yes. it avoids hospitalizations. It can be yes. deprescribing happening so that overall their medication benefit decreases as well, less medication. So yes, obviously there's a longitudinal value curve here, but yeah, I think that's really for, for a powerful it. message for employers mm -hmm. that it's, yes, hopefully you do it for the right reasons in terms of the heart-centric approach. I want to make everyone feel supported in my organization, but also when they are supported, therefore I get essentially a better ROI on all the investment in that retention of that employee, in their productivity, in their potential ability to advance within the organization, because these are also cognitive impairments, right? If you have, whether it be in, in mental health or other diseases that are putting essentially a block between your best self and what you can bring to your work. Thank you for sharing all of this. This is really, sorry? You said, you said something insightful there. Oh, okay. That's great. <laughs> so with a lot of times you, you may hear an organization talking about mental health. If someone is diagnosed with cancer or diabetes or any other type of chronic illness, that is almost an immediate impact on their mental health. Yes. And offering these programs where these employees feel supported wholeheartedly that's going to impact their mental health tremendously. But they're also going to take that home if their dependents can participate in some of these programs. You must remember the employee has an ecosystem. So it's not just about them. If you're taking care of them and their dependents and providing that mental health benefit across the board, you're winning. And as I was saying earlier, uh, you can see that 5% year over year that's that inflation cost built into healthcare from an organizational standpoint, you can actually see that flatline over right. the course of, of three years, in, in, which means you're not experiencing that 15% uh, 
increase over that, that three-year period, what can you do with premiums? You can stabilize them. And all. So right. all of that's a trickle-down effect to why employees want to stay right. with their employer. That's awesome. Thank you for that. So that kind of falls into the whole reciprocity, right? We talked about autonomy and self-determination and then reciprocity. You scratch my back, I scratch yours and it's implicit. But no, that's fabulous. This was quite illuminating. And I know we were talking a bit above, before, but around and through. So we could spend a lot of time together, but we have to wrap up today. Unfortunately, I'm sure the listeners would really love to connect with you and learn more. So can you just briefly tell us what is the best way to get in touch with you? Yes, yes. The best way to get in touch with me is to visit my website, davisioplc.com. You can click on business services and then under business services, click contact us. And that will allow you to at least start the process of contacting the organization and then we'll reach back out to you and service you and, and get whatever you need taken care of. Thank you so much for being my guest today. It was really a pleasure and we look forward to hearing and seeing more from you around the globe soon. Sounds good and thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Insights Out. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have a specific topic in mind and you want us to discuss, please reach out to us by visiting newsolutionsnetwork.com. See you next time.